1562, the 12 year old French king Charles IX, while meeting with his court, was introduced to three men. These men were from a tribe from the newly discovered lands of America. The tribe was unlike anything the French had ever seen before. The most notable thing about these tribesmen was that they practiced a form of ritualistic cannibalism. The young king decided that showing off these new worlders was a great way of displaying the majesty of France. Many French aristocrats were asked to visit and gawk at the three men as if they were a living museum exhibit. One of the many invited to observe the cannibals was the famous French philosopher Michel de Montaigne. Montaigne recorded his experiences at the event in an essay quite simply titled, Of Cannibalism. After being gawked at and quizzed by the French aristocrats, Montaigne recounts that eventually the tribesmen were given a chance to say what they thought of France and to praise their new French king. Everyone there assumed cannibals would be amazed by France and considered it the peak of civilization. But in reality, the cannibals were greatly confused by French civilization. They asked, why do the aristocrats before them have so much wealth while people starve in the streets? And they couldn't particularly wrap their heads around why the king was a young boy instead of an old man. I never thought I would hear myself saying this, but the cannibals have a good point. Why are a bunch of grown men obeying the whims of a 12-year-old boy with a shiny hat and a tall chair? The moral of the story is, don't throw stones in glass houses. Sure, the tribesmen practice ritualistic cannibalism. But France in the 16th century was just as bizarre, with a fattened aristocracy lording over scrawny peasants toiling in the fields, and a boy king overseeing the affairs of an entire nation. Political power does weird things to the minds of normally rational people. Despite France's trappings of civilization, their practices are just as absurd and outlandish as the cannibals in some ways. While writing this essay, Montaigne was probably thinking about his good friend Etienne, who had viciously criticized the nature of political power as absurd, inhuman, and dangerous. Throughout history, there has been a tendency of the majority of people to reflexively acquiesce to tyrannical regimes, no matter how cruel, ruthless, or incompetent that authority may be. Today I will be talking about Etienne de la Boétie, a Renaissance humanist who attempted to answer the phenomenon of why we so often fall into the trap of obeying tyrants despite our better judgement, and importantly, how to escape from this miserable situation. In some time around 1530, Etienne was born into an aristocratic family in a small town called Sarlat in southwest France. But tragically, at an early age, Etienne was orphaned and raised by his uncle. Etienne trained as a lawyer at the University of Orléans, which stood out at the time of great religious tension as a bastion of free inquiry and unhindered debate. Etienne's foremost teacher, Anne de Burg, would later be burned at the stake for heresy, and many of his dissenting classmates would suffer the same fate. By 1553, he completed his education and was quickly appointed to the Bordeaux Parliament. Despite being under the minimum age requirements, Etienne's abilities were too valuable to waste, and so despite his youth, he was admitted into Parliament. While serving, Etienne met Montaigne, and the two became close friends quickly. Etienne embarked upon a career as a diplomat and a judge, working night and day to distinguish himself. When not working, Etienne buried himself in the literature of ancient Greece and Rome, even writing his own translations and composing poetry. It is obvious when reading Etienne that he was obsessed with ancient history, constantly finding parallels between the ancient world and contemporary France. Being part of the humanist movement, Etienne admired the literature of the ancient world and wished to see its revival and emulation. Despite a bright future, in 1563, at the depressingly young age of 32, Etienne tragically died. A heartbroken Montaigne wrote a lengthy essay entitled On Friendship, praising his good friend Etienne and lamenting his passing. Etienne is a relatively obscure figure today, and we do not know very much about his life, and most people that do know about him 
are only aware of him due to Montaigne's praise. But Etienne wrote a short treatise entitled A Discourse on Voluntary Servitude, which is, in my opinion, the most original piece of political writing in the 16th century and the first work in the Western world that called for mass civil disobedience against the state. Etienne begins his discourse on voluntary servitude with a simple question. Why do people obey tyrants? How can one single person hold so much power over thousands, if not millions, of people? He states that his aim is to explain how it happens that so many men, so many villages, so many cities, so many nations sometimes suffer under a single tyrant who has no other power than the power they gave him. The more we obey a tyrant, the more we embolden their ego. Slowly through passivity, a single person becomes a monster who can dictate the destiny of thousands, if not millions of people. Etienne questions how it is that people not only obey their rulers, but are driven to a state of passive servility. If we had two armies clash, one a band of people defending their freedom, and the other a horde attempting to suppress the freedom of others, who would win? Etienne believes, at least in the abstract, the side fighting for freedom would win every time. He says... One side will have before it in its eyes the blessings of the past and the hope of similar joy in the future. The battle will be dangerous, yes, but in the end, the side for freedom will be fighting not only for their own freedom, but also for their children, giving them even more reason to fight. On the other hand, the army fighting to take away freedom has nothing to inspire it, except for maybe some weaky urges of greed. But this fades before danger, and can never be so keen. But when Etienne looked around at the 16th century in Europe, he saw a world increasingly dominated by absolutist monarchs who were pushing to cement and centralize their power further. Kings claimed their position was ordained by God, and they even had quasi-mystical powers such as healing touch for the sick. Complete lunacy in Etienne's mind. Tyranny was an often discussed aspect of medieval and renaissance thought. Tyrants were usually conceptualized as those who seized power unjustly or disrespected the established laws and customs of the land. For many contemporaries, a tyrant was a king gone wrong. But Etienne believed the rule of one person above the rest is tyranny. Whether they have risen to positions of power through elections, conquest, or inheritance, they were all just as bad as each other. All kings are tyrants. Etienne wondered why people are willing to endure the hardships and humiliations that tyranny often inflicts. He believed no state could survive without the tacit consent of the majority of people. A government does not need to be popular or useful to survive. They must merely ensure that people will not rebel. By not resisting, people slowly become voluntary slaves, leading to the title of the essay, A Discourse on Voluntary Servitude. This habit of obedience becomes ingrained in a people, leading to a reflexive, almost involuntary obedience to political authority, despite its cruelty. To set the record straight, Etienne explains what he thinks human society ought to look like, a community of friendly equals. Etienne, in line with ancient Stoic thinkers, believed that we ought to live in accordance with nature, which guides us towards virtue. So what does nature tell us exactly? Well, first and foremost, nature tells us that all human beings are equal. We are all created in the same likeness, in Etienne's words, so that each of us may find himself reflected in another. Any inequalities between us in strength, intelligence, or thrift only exist so that we may promote fraternity in helping our fellow man. These inequalities in our abilities or talents do not give one person the right to dominate over another. Etienne explains that if in distributing her gifts, nature has favored some more than others, with respect to body or spirit, she has nevertheless not planned to place us within the world as if it were a field of battle. There is no excuse for anyone to be the master of another. This makes any form of violence against another wholly unnatural, since nature has not endowed the stronger or clever in order that they may act like armed brigands in a forest and attack the weaker. We have even been given the gifts of speech and rationality so that we may work out our differences between each other. What room does this exactly leave for political authority, though? The answer is basically none. For Etienne, if we let our lives according to the ways intended by nature and the lessons taught by her, 
We should be intuitively obedient to our parents. Later, we should adopt reason as our guide and become slaves to nobody. Equality is a natural order of things, while subordination is wholly perverse. The only legitimate authority is parental authority, and even then, it eventually wanes as a child grows. If we followed nature, we would respect one another's inherent dignity and freedom. There's little room for kings, commissars, or presidents in Etienne's utopia. All living things wish to be free. A horse must be broken before it can be ridden without resistance. Etienne believes this urge for freedom is so immense that elephants will break their tusks against rocks, deterring hunters by yielding their ivory rather than living in slavery. Domesticated animals even lament in their slavery. Etienne says that even the ox under the weight of the yoke moans. Every animal resists captivity, except for one. Humans. Etienne believes humans are the only animals in the world who willingly subject themselves to slavery, misery, and torment, which is even more shocking when we factor in our faculties such as reason and speech. Despite our preeminence over animals, we have forgotten our fundamental nature. If you were asked point-blank, would you rather be free or not free, you would obviously say free. It's not even much of an argument. Etienne believes if you asked every person, there can be no doubt that they would rather follow reason than serve another man. Freedom is dignifying, while servility is humiliating. But why have we forgotten this? How could anyone consent to such a situation where one single man held all the power while the rest kowtowed to his will? Etienne believes that there are three reasons why tyranny endures. Custom, trickery, the network of patronage. Customer habit causes people to be born and bred as serfs. As Etienne has stressed, few people would voluntarily give themselves up to servitude. The first generation that is tyrannized resists the yoke of oppression. But as time passes, the following generations come to believe Etienne's words that their fathers live in the same way, and that they would think they're obliged to suffer as the same way their fathers did. It never crosses other generations' minds that they are meant to be free. Etienne holds that nurture holds more sway over us than nature. He explains that it is true that it is in man's nature to be free, and also that he naturally takes the bent which nurture gives him. Though it may be in our nature to be free, the force of habit dulls nature's urges. Etienne concludes that anything becomes natural to man if he accustoms himself to it. Etienne compares people who find themselves in a state of involuntary servitude to children who are born in regions where there are months of darkness on end. Since they were born of the dark, they will never long for the light. Unlike the child in the dark, since we never experience this natural idyllic liberty, we do not long for it anymore. The second method that tyrants use to solidify their rule is trickery. The Roman emperors constantly held lavish games at the Colosseum, distributed bread to the public. Etienne believed that in ancient times, plays, farces, spectacles, gladiators, strange beasts, medals, pictures, and other such opiates, these were for ancient people the bait towards slavery, the price of their liberty, the instruments of tyranny. These magnificent displays of wealth convinced the people to believe that without their rulers they would not have these amazing events. In reality, these were all funded through taxation. People are merely receiving some of their stolen wealth back in the form of entertainment. Constant propaganda is also employed to make rulers seem like they're divine beings. Etienne's day, but the French and English monarchs claim to have divine powers to heal the sick. Etienne mocks those who believe King's simple touch could cure diseases and explains it is merely a trick to dupe the desperate. He explains that kings have insisted on using religion for their own protection and where possible have borrowed a stray bit of divinity to bolster up their evil ways. Another method of trickery tyrants employ is an attempt to align their actions with the so-called people. Etienne explains that they never undertake an unjust policy, even one of some importance, without prefacing it with some pretty speech concerning the public welfare and the common good. 
Tyrants attempt to build a cult of personality as defenders of the people. In order to strengthen their power, tyrants train people not only in obedience and servility towards themselves, but also in adoration. Tyrants' ability to employ custom and trickery to their advantage are potent methods of convincing people to tacitly consent to their subjection. However, these two can't explain everything. Etienne believes the mainspring and secret principle of domination, the support and foundation of tyranny was, the benefits that tyrants give to a select few through state power. Every tyrant has a close cabal of cronies and lackeys who carry out their dirty work. For their subservient loyalty, they are handsomely rewarded with money, status, or their own sliver of power. In turn, each of these cronies then hires their own underlings to carry out their bidding. This creates a complicated network of patronage. For some, the status quo of tyranny is far better than freedom because tyrants give them what they want, while freedom would take away everything they had and make them like everyone else. It becomes so bad that Etienne describes a situation where 100,000 and even millions cling to the tyrant by this cord in which they are tied. For many entangled in this web of patronage, liberty would mean the end of their current standards of living. Upholding tyranny becomes the profitable and logical course of action. This mass of soldiers, bureaucrats and servants fiercely defend the status quo because without it they would have nothing that would make them above the rest. This is by far Etienne's most novel and incisive critique of state power. By making freedom seem unattractive to half the population, tyrants can perpetuate their rule with the backing of a large, entrenched group of people who rely upon their continued reign. The situation Etienne describes is a grim affair. He asks, Has so denatured man that he, the only creature really born to be free, lacks the memory of his original condition and desire to return to it? The forces of custom, trickery, and entrenched interests make it seem like reverting to Etienne's ideal world of equals voluntarily cooperating would be a hopeless task. But throughout the medieval and early modern period, there had been a tradition of theorizing on the topic of tyrannicide, the ethical justification for killing a tyrant. French Protestant writers, due to religious persecution, have been theorizing their own ideas of tyrannicide during Etienne's lifetime. However, Etienne did not advocate for killing tyrants. If one tyrant was killed, another more ruthless one might take its place, perpetuating the cycle further, and even making it worse. The solution is not to kill political leaders, but instead to do away with them altogether. Etienne's solution to tyranny is much more radical as it strikes at the very root of power. Instead of fighting against the forces of the state, we should simply withdraw our consent in an act of mass civil disobedience. Etienne reasons that the state is upheld by our tacit consent and habituated reflexive obedience. However, the state is not a magical and transcendent force. As the later classical liberal thinker Frederick Bastiat would argue, the state is a great fiction. The state is an artificial body, not some colossal beast. In reality, it is composed of people, people who have no right to demand our unquestioning obedience. The state is supported not by our genuine consent, but by the more nefarious tacit consent. If we simply learn to say, no, we are already on our way to disassembling the most tyrannical regimes. Etienne explains that if not one thing is yielded to them, if without any violence they are simply not obeyed, they become naked and undone. Just as when the root receives no nourishment, the branch withers and dies. Etienne reasons that we would then see the truth of political power, that it is illegitimate, against nature, and wholly untenable. He compares a tyrant to a colossus being supported by the people, and says that once you support him no longer, you will then behold him, and like a great colossus whose pedestal has been pulled away, he will fall of his own weight and break into pieces. Etienne's work is especially unique for his day, as he did not tackle any immediate political issue. Unlike contemporary Huguenots who are attempting to justify resistance against particular regimes, Etienne's highly abstract and deductive methodology provided a powerful indictment of all authority. And it is for this reason that Etienne never actually published his amazing Discourse on Voluntary Servitude during his life. 
Instead, it was clandestinely distributed in intellectual circles, but never published. Monsignor, while writing his essays, was contemplating including Etienne's discourse on voluntary servitude in his collection. Montaigne was shocked and appalled when, in 1574, Etienne's discourse was published in a Huguenot pamphlet. The Huguenots were a group of French Protestants at the time, when France's official religion was Catholicism and its doctrine was staunchly enforced by the state. It was then published again two years later in yet another Huguenot pamphlet, aligning Etienne with the radicals of his day. To save the reputation of his deceased friend, Montaigne doubled down, stressing Etienne's conservatism, and that the essay was really just the musings of a radical college student, as, after all, Etienne had written this essay at the tender age of 18. In some ways it was hard to tell what Etienne truly believed. In his own life he never did anything particularly radical to challenge the French monarchy, and was even employed by royalty. Etienne accidentally proved his own point, that benefiting from tyranny would dull one's love for freedom. In some ways Etienne's life is a cautionary tale. It is very easy to describe yourself as a radical, but it is very different to be one. I have chatted to a few people I know about Etienne, and most of them enjoy his arguments, but ultimately think that he's just a starry-eyed idealist who would have no real impact on the world at large. But because Etienne did not focus on particular rulers, instead made a concerted effort to attack the very concept political power, Etienne has found fans in a broad spectrum of ideologies, including anarchists, Marxists, and libertarians. The Russian author Leo Tolstoy liberally quoted sections of Etienne in The Law of Love and The Law of Violence, a work which is read by both Mahatma Gandhi and Martin Luther King. The political scientist Jean Sharp, who specializes in nonviolent resistance and has been called the Machiavelli of nonviolence, refers to Etienne's work numerous times in his seminal work, The Politics of Nonviolent Action. Etienne's main focus in the discourse of voluntary servitude is not on tyrants themselves, but those who serve beneath their reign. He explains that people reflexively and unwittingly obey political authority due to custom enforced over generations, the public works of the state, and finally, the entrenched interests of those who benefit from the state's dominance. The simple solution to dissolving state power is to revoke consent on a mass scale. Once the state has been exposed not to be of a leviathan but a mouse, liberty will flourish as nature intended. Discourses is not only a scathing attack on all political authority, but also a concise strategy on how to overthrow the state. Etienne's discourse on voluntary servitude is one of the earliest advocates of mass civil disobedience, and for this alone he deserves recognition within the canon of libertarian thought. But as we have seen, Etienne is not just for libertarians. He has a broad appeal on some of the disparate and incongruous ideologies. I believe why Etienne is such a variety of fans is because of the fundamental importance he stresses on the dignity of freedom. It is, after all, what makes us human. Today, civil disobedience is a legitimate and increasingly effective tactic for political change. And in this light, it is never a bad time to rediscover Etienne de la Boétie and his discourse on voluntary servitude. Thanks, Mill, for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And if you did, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you may listen to podcasts. Visit the website www.libertarianism.org to find more podcasts like this one. I hope to see you next time.